All right, good morning, everyone. Uh, we'll get started in a few minutes here, uh, but there is a handout in the back. If you haven't had a chance to get that yet, uh, you might want to pick one up, and um, you'll probably want that in the course of the lesson. Otherwise, uh, I am Jim Newman, and if, for those that may not know me, and uh, this is uh, Made in the Image of God. So. This will be an eight-week study, sort of a biblical and theological study of what it means to be made in the image of God and what that means practically for our day-to-day -day lives. So uh, I'll let everyone get their handouts and uh, find your seats, and then I'll pray for us, and we'll get started in just a second. Okay, as people continue to find their seats, let me just open us in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word and all that it teaches us. We thank you that you are our God and indeed our creator, uh, the one who made us, who fashioned us, who gave us life. And uh, we thank you that you have in your word let us know exactly what you made us for and what our purpose is here on this earth. And so we ask as we study your word together over these next eight weeks, starting today, that uh, you would uh, be with us and that with your Holy Spirit you would illuminate our minds and help us to discern clearly what your word has told us and that we would, as we're informed by it, that we would learn how to uh, better reflect you um, in this world. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Um, okay, so uh, as I said, this will be an eight-week uh, biblical theological study of what it means to be made in the image of God. And as soon as we say that, as soon as we talk about being made in the image of God, we're really talking in the first place about Genesis 1, 26 through 27. Uh, so Nathaniel, maybe if you can switch to the next slide. There it is on the screen. Uh, and Genesis 1:26 through 27 says, Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. These two verses, while relatively brief, have generated more discussion and more interest over the centuries of uh, not just Christianity, but uh, centuries even before Christianity, as Jewish scholars considered these verses. Uh, they've generated more discussion and interest than just about any verses in the Bible. Uh, one Old Testament scholar, John Kutzko, has said, there has never been so much made with so little by so many. So much made of just a, a couple words but rightfully so when we think about it. That's not inappropriate because the truth is that these two verses are probably the closest thing that we come to in Scripture to a purpose statement of humanity. If we have a purpose statement for humanity in Scripture, it's probably these two verses. 
And uh, so, so naturally, um, people have studied this to no end and commented on this to no end. Uh, but it's a statement that also lends itself to a lot of questions. It invites a lot of questions. Uh, we rightly sense that whatever it means to be made in the image and likeness of God is uh, supremely important. How could it not be? These are lofty words uh, said about human beings. But at the same time, uh, we tend to have a lot of questions about exactly what that means. What, do, what does it mean, after all, to be made in God's image? And, and because uh, that's not um, abundantly spelled out for us right here in these two verses necessarily, there has been uh, a lot of questioning and discussion about that over uh, the centuries. And so the position that that puts us in is one of recognizing on the one hand that this is very important, on the other hand, not being entirely sure what it means. And so therein is the reason why um, we can do an eight-week class on this and why I thought it was a good idea. Uh, so some starting questions that I want us to consider over the course of these eight weeks. Number one, what does it mean to be made in the image and likeness of God? And, and how does that, and I want to put particularly em emphasis on the, the second half of this, and how does that truth help us live our daily lives? Um, because th that's the other part of this, is even if we know or have some uh, sense in our minds of what it means to be made in the image of God, uh, most of us want to know how that actually helps us live on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, secondly, how does the reality of the fall, how does the reality of sin affect the image of God? Do we still reflect the image of God? Or is it still right to say that we're made in the image of God? How do we reconcile this biblical truth that we are made in the image of God with the other biblical truth that all continue, all have sinned and continue to fall short of the glory of God? And uh, thirdly, that leads naturally to another question, how is the image of God redeemed in Jesus Christ? And uh, taking those three questions together kind of gives us the scope of this class and the scope that I want this class to follow. And Nathaniel, if you'll switch to the next slide. Thank you. Um, and so there's kind of what I have planned for the next eight weeks. Today we'll do an introduction of the topic and I'll say a few words generally about what people have thought image of God means. And uh, then next week we'll really get into the meat of the text of Genesis 1 and 2 and look um, in detail, as much detail as we can, at what it seems to mean in the context of Genesis 1 and 2 to be made in the image of God. Uh, the week after that, we'll, we'll look at the fall. We'll look at Genesis 3 and how the fall affects the image of God and try to answer some of those difficult questions about how we reconcile our fallenness with the fact that we are made in the image of God. After that week, it'll be a really good place for a discussion, a discussion of what we've seen so far, the image of God in the first three chapters of Scripture. And so one of the things that I'll say right now is that uh, throughout these first three weeks, uh, I invite you, in fact, I'm, I'm imploring you to think of all of your questions, the things that you have more questions about related to this topic, questions that come up during those first three weeks, or just things that you already know that you want uh, to talk more about. Um, and I plan for that fourth week to really be uh, much more of a discussion than a lecture. Um, and we can take up whatever questions and topics you all bring to the table. 
After that, we'll transition toward the New Testament. One of the interesting things about this topic is that most of the time when people talk about the image of God, they talk about Genesis 1, 26 and 27, and that's it. Um, but while it's true that the image of God for being such an important topic doesn't occur that often in the Bible, the interesting thing is that uh, the phrase actually occurs more in the New Testament than it does the Old Testament. So. Um, there's a long stretch of scripture where we don't hear much more about the image of God and suddenly it comes back in a really interesting way in the New Testament. Um, so that leads us to week six where we will look at Jesus Christ as the image of God. And that leads naturally to week seven where we will look at how Jesus Christ as the image of God redeems the image of God in us. Uh, and then we will have one more week to discuss the final implications of all of this. Uh, well, I shouldn't really say final, but we'll discuss some implications of this anyway and, um, and have a final discussion as a group. So that's what I have planned for us. Um, and uh, having said that, um, what I'd like to do if we can is actually start off today uh, with uh, what you all think of when you hear made in the image and likeness of God when we read this in Genesis. Uh, so you'll notice there's a QR code on the screen. The same QR code is actually on uh, your handouts if you have the handout. Uh, so if you want to scan that, uh, I'm going to use uh, a neat little tool that Jeff Johnson showed us in the Kingdom Sexuality class. Um, and uh, we will and, and just type in in a few words, um, one word or a phrase, what you think of when you read that we are made in the image and likeness of God. And I'll keep track of the responses as they're coming in. It's closed. That's not good. Um, well, let me see if I can fix that real quick. I might know why. It's open? Okay, great. Thank you. that God is human-like, um, interesting, so we can kind of reverse that. If we are made in the image of God, then in some way, shape, or form, God is also like us. Um, um, moral agency, creativity, we reflect his glory, um, that we're meant to reflect God, that's important, that it gets toward purpose, a purpose statement again. Um, okay, uh, there are, wow, lots of great stuff coming up. Um, and, um, more than I can actually keep track of. Um, <laughs> so, so we have a thoughtful group here, and that's great. Um, what I can see up there, things like lawful, reflecting his glory, moral agency, relational, glorious. Um, these, these are all excellent thoughts and thoughts that echo a lot of the thoughts that people have put forward throughout the history of interpretation. Um, I saw made in the image of love up there too. Um, that's, a great, that's a great point that to be made in God's image has to somehow express his love for us. Um, and um, uh, yeah, that's, I'll, I'll let that keep going for a second. Um, creativity I've also seen up there. Um, and uh, that's, that's a thought that many others have had as well and I think not a bad one. Um, compassionate, that's another um, 
another really interesting one that I think strikes true, as we will see. Okay, uh, so lots of great stuff coming up there. Um, a need for community as well, complexity. So um, let's go ahead and, and I'll let that keep going for a minute, no reason to close it up right now, but um, let's compare this a little bit to some of the historical interpretations uh, that we've seen of the image of God. Um, one of the most common ways of looking at the image of God throughout history has been to say that humans resemble God in their mental and or spiritual capacity. Uh, so in other words, putting the, putting the emphasis on um, you know, humans as spiritual beings or, or perhaps our rationality, our ability to reason, uh, things like that. Um, the first thinker that we really know of in, in history to take this point of view was probably Philo, who was a Jewish thinker who was very much also influenced by uh, Greek philosophy. Uh, in Christian theology, Augustine took this point of view and um, he, and, and it became, uh, it was probably through Augustine that it became very much popularized and is probably, if I had to, if I had to guess, probably still the most common view of, um, generally speaking, of the image of God today. And uh, Martin Luther also took, of course, Martin Luther was, um, before he was a reformer, was an Augustinian monk. So um, unsurprisingly, he has a very similar view of the image of God to Augustine, um, again, referring primarily to our mental and or spiritual capacity. Uh, philosophers later in history, like John Locke, for instance, took this perspective. And it's still held by many, uh, many people today. And... Um, and so we could, in various ways, see how maybe some of the answers on the screen would relate to that and that idea that the image of God uh, has to do with our mental and spiritual capacity. Um, I should also say this view is, um, is probably, it's probably no accident that this view first came about in Jewish theology through someone who was very influenced by Greek philosophy and came about in uh, Christian theology through someone who was also very influenced by Greek philosophy, Augustine. And um, Greek philosophy tended to put so much priority on uh, mental and spiritual capacity, uh, the soul rather than the body, uh, that it's not surprising that thinkers influenced by Greek philosophy would see, you know, would, would emphasize that humans resemble God primarily in those ways. Uh, another form, or another, another thought common throughout history, common enough, this may surprise us a little bit, um, unless I've missed it, I don't think that I necessarily see it up there, which is not altogether surprising. Um, but uh, another thought in history is that um, humans resemble God in their physical form somehow. Um, so that could mean anything from we actually look like God uh, to uh, there's something about our physical form that, none, that nevertheless reflects something about God, even if it's not so direct as we look like him. Um, so this view was actually common among the Jewish rabbis. It's the most common view um, among ancient rabbis. 
And then it, it seems to have kind of disappeared for a long time and was picked up again by modern scholars, especially German Old Testament scholars like Hermann Gunkel, um, famous commentator on uh, Genesis, Bernard Doom, um, who's more of an Old Testament biblical theologian, John Skinner, um, the one non-German that I have listed here, um, Gerhard von Rad, um, another famous name in the history of Old Testament scholarship, and, and that's only about half of the names, really. There are some other um, uh, scholars, modern scholars, who picked up that idea as well. Um, but it seems to have kind of uh, trailed off a little bit. There aren't as many people necessarily who um, go for that view today. Um, earlier in the 20th century there were, but in less so now. Um, interesting to note that Luther also seems to have held a little bit of this view anyway, although Luther primarily thought that the image of God referred to our mental and spiritual capacity. Uh, he did also think that there was something in the physical form of a human being, that in the majesty of our physical form as, as compared, I suppose, to um, animals uh, that reflected something of God himself. So Luther uh, wasn't totally opposed to this idea that on some level uh, we might resemble something, might reflect something about God in our physical form. Um, of course, one of the reasons, uh, one of the, the uh, common questions submitted to this view is, is what you do with uh, verses like, you know, in John 4 when, um, when we read uh, God is spirit. Um, it's, it's a debate, a matter of debate whether or not God has a body in the same way that we have um, a body. And um, I won't go full into that because I don't even think it's a question we can answer. Um, but I will only say that that is and has been for centuries upon centuries um, a debated issue. Um, uh, so another view then um, is that humans resemble God in their relationality, which is one that I specifically saw up there somewhere. Um, and this view is especially associated with the Swiss theologian Karl Barth, who emphasized when looking at these two verses that God created human beings male and female. He created them male and female. So in other words, he created them as a relational pair. And in Bart's view, it's as a relational pair that they um, reflect the image of God. And so that male and femaleness together is actually essential in Bart's view to what it means to be made in the image of God. He also emphasized that the plural is used in Genesis 1.26. Um, let us make, let us make humankind in our image. And so there's something of God's own um, and in inner relationality, um, and we'll talk more about that and how to understand that particularly next week. Um, it's another huge question that people ask of these verses, but... Um, but Bart really emphasized that, um, that God is here, it speaks of himself in the plural, um, pointing to his own inward relationality, and at the same time creates human beings as a pair, a relational pair. Um, and others have held uh, similar views, including uh, the Genesis scholar um, Klaus Westermann, um, and so this view continues to be around. Uh, the truth is probably most people don't 
espouse this view in the same way that Bart did. Most people find some problems with Bart's, um, the particularities of Bart's understanding, but most people uh, have at least said, you know, insofar as, you know, that the, the, the idea that humans resemble God in their relationality is probably at least uh, correct on some level. Um, and uh, another view. Humans resemble God in their function as his royal representatives on earth. This one's really interesting. And, uh, you know, maybe not immediate apparent. How does being made in the image and likeness of God relate specifically to being royal representatives? Um, but German scholars, uh, the first was probably Johannes Hain, um, not a name that there's any real reason why you should know. Uh, but he was probably the first to really uh, articulate this view thoroughly but many others have followed him since. Um, this view is kind of born out of the realization uh, that Hain made that these terms, image and likeness, um, are used in many of the ancient cultures surrounding Israel. So Mesopotamian cultures, Babylonian cultures, uh, Egyptian culture, um, all, of, all of these surrounding cultures to refer to the king. Image and likeness were terms used to refer to the king in those cultures, and specifically referring to the king as an image of the chief deity. Now, of course, that would have, that thought process, if it existed in Israel and in Genesis, would have operated very differently. Um, and we'll talk about that more next week actually, would have, would have operated very differently than in the cultures surrounding it, given that those were pagan and polytheistic cultures. Um, and uh, Israel was thoroughly uh, monotheistic, um, not pagan. So, um, so that idea would work a little bit differently. Um, but it is striking that these very terms, image and likeness, are used to refer to the king as an image or representative of the chief deity in a lot of surrounding cultures. And so it's not um, impossible that, um, that somehow these terms here also refer to human beings um, in their function as God's representatives, his royal representatives on earth. Um, after all, uh, they are said to have been given dominion um, in these very same verses. Um, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, another thought, a little bit less common, but worth noting. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, Creation and Fall, uh, emphasized that humans resemble God in their freedom, freedom of will and thought. Uh, they, humans have a sort of independence, um, Bonhoeffer argued that you don't find in other creatures. And it's in that independence, that very freedom of will and thought, um, that they are able to be for God. They can, they can, with that freedom, therefore direct their will and their thought toward God in a way that no other creature can. And so for Bonhoeffer, it was important that freedom meant um, first and foremost, freedom for God. We are uniquely free for God um, in uh, a way that other creatures are not. That was his point of view. Uh, Gregory of Nyssa, uh, fourth century church father, <laughs> I, I like this one, um, thought that humans resemble God primarily in their incomprehensibility. Um, God is incomprehensible, and so are we. Um, and uh, if you watch much of the news, that makes a lot of sense, although I, 
I don't think that we're incomprehensible in quite the same sense that God is. Um, uh, God is incomprehensible in a, in a way that just makes me want to worship him and, and stand in awe of him. Um, human beings are incomprehensible in a way that makes me run away um, and makes me want to run away from myself too sometimes. Um, so, uh, but anyway, but it is kind of, uh, all joking aside, an interesting idea um, that we are incredibly complex creatures, and maybe in our very complexity, we resemble something of God. Um, all of these ideas, I think we will see, especially next week as we get into some of the exegesis of Genesis 1 and 2, have varying degrees of merit. Um, I don't think that any is completely without merit. Some have more merit than others. Um, but none of them, I would also argue, really address what it ultimately means to be made in the image, um, what, what the very words image in Hebrew, tselim, and um, likeness in Hebrew, demut, uh, actually mean in the context of Genesis 1 through 3, uh, which is primarily what we're going to talk about next week. Uh, Nathaniel, if you want to switch slides, thanks. Um, uh, and so, in the meantime, uh, there are a few, I want to sort of close up today. We're going to have, I'll have leave time. I'm going to leave about 10, 15 minutes for um, questions here at the end. But before that, um, uh, there are a few immediate insights and sort of practical takeaways from these two verses that I think we can, um, we can touch on even before we go really deep into the exegesis next week. One comes from a former professor of mine, Richard Lentz, um, uh, who points out that whatever else it means to be made in the image of God, it fundamentally means that we are meant to reflect God, uh, like holding up a mirror to him within creation. All of creation in Genesis 1 and 2 is ultimately meant to reflect God's glory in some way. But human beings in particular, in a special way within that, by being made in the image of God, it's as though we are a mirror, um, reflect, meant to be anyway, reflecting him within the creation. Um, and so it tells us something fundamentally about our purpose, that we are meant to reflect God. But when you think about this, this is where it gets really interesting. If that's true, uh, if fundamentally what it means to be made in the image of God is that we reflect God, that also means that our meaning comes from somewhere else. Our meaning comes from somewhere outside of us. Just as a painting or a reflection, uh, the meaning, the, when, if you see a reflection in a mirror, that reflection has no meaning, has no substance of its own apart from what it reflects. Um, when we paint a picture of something, we paint a picture that symbolizes something else. Um, if I take a photograph, my photograph is a photograph of something else. And, and the meaning that it possesses, all of its significance, um, comes actually from what it is that it depicts. And so what that means is that to be made in the image of God uh, means on some very basic and fundamental level that we derive our meaning and purpose and identity from God himself. 
uh, that's and nothing could be more important in defining um, human purpose, human meaning. Uh, step one is that we derive our meaning and purpose from God, uh, which also by the same token means that we are not masters of our own identity, which is something that human beings in their entire history are really good at trying to be. Um, and some people even explicitly like to uh, say that they are indeed masters of their own identity, um, and, or that we make, our, we make our own identity, we make our own meaning, um, we, we uh, assign our own meaning and purpose to our lives. Um, to be made in the image of God actually means fundamentally that that is not true, um, and that that cannot be true. Um, if we basically take our meaning and purpose from God, um, we have no, no actual meaning, no substance of our own apart from Him. Uh, and when we attempt to create our own meaning, when we, when we attempt to assign meaning to ourselves, we inevitably lose it. The more we insist on being um, creators of our own meaning and purpose, the more we will find ourselves lost and, um, and confused. Um, I'll have more to say on that point, I think particularly when we get to Genesis 3. Um, being made in the image of God also means uh, something worth reflecting on a while for all of us, that you have a significance, while on the one hand you have a significance that um, is inseparable from God himself, one that you don't assign to yourself, you also have a significance that you did not earn and that also cannot be taken from you. The image of God in these two verses is not something that is achieved. Adam and Eve do not in any way achieve this image. Um, they are made in the image of God, and that is very different, to be made in the image of God versus achieving the image of God. So that means that our value is an inherent fact of our creation. Um, it's not something that we build. We do not make ourselves valuable through education, through accomplishments, through achievements, through career, um, or anything else. Um, we, it, again, uh, just as our meaning is not something that we make for ourselves, neither is our value or our worth nor is it something that others can assign to us. Um, we don't get our meaning from what someone else says about us. Our meaning, our, our value is rather um, an inherent fact of our creation. It, it is a fact of what we are. are. We are uh, images of God, and that gives us um, a glorious value and worth um, that has nothing to do with anything that we've achieved for ourselves. It's just a fact. Um, and it is for that very reason we'll see in coming weeks that, that it is such a demand. Tracy preached on this a little bit from Amos this morning. Um, if you, and if you haven't been there yet, you'll, you'll hear it in a little while. Um, but it is such a demand in Scripture that we respect our fellow human beings because we are made in the image of God. Um, this value that is an inherent fact is also something that um, it, 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 is, it is almost blasphemy against God himself to disrespect 
one of those creatures that he has made in his image. Uh, when we get to, well, I'll say a little bit more about that in just a second, but finally, um, I'll say just a couple more words and then I'll turn things over uh, to all of you for questions. Um, the last thing I want to say then, I already alluded to this, but Genesis 1, 26 through 27 is really the only beginning, the, only the beginning of the story of the image of God in scripture. Uh, image of God language continues throughout the, um, the rest of the Bible. And I've put a list of references um, here on the handout, but I'll also go through just a few of them, not all of them, but look at a couple of them, glance at them anyway, uh, real quick here. So Nathaniel, if you can switch. Uh, okay, so in Genesis 5.3, and this is interesting, um, this really refers to, to Adam, uh, Seth, being made, um, or being born, rather, in this case, in the um, image of Adam. But it's interesting that in Genesis 5.3, uh, when Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his own image, that same kind of terminology used in a reversed order um, that we see of human beings made in God's image and likeness in Genesis 1, 26 through 27. And so while it's not the same thing, this is not talking about the image of God, this will probably prove to be important, we'll see um, next week, in helping us understand what it means to be made in the image and likeness of someone else at all. Um, next. Um, Genesis 9, 6, uh, whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. A um, couple important things to note about this. This happens after the flood. So this is after the fall, after the flood. Um, and human beings are still being referred to as made in God's image. Um, but uh, this verse is uh, probably most famous for uh, well, it because it becomes embroiled in debates over capital punishment um, and is uh, often taken to be the most explicit uh, rationale in Scripture for capital punishment. But that aside, what, whatever we ultimately decide about that issue, what is um, really crucial here is that um, the whole rationale, the reason why um, a person's blood is to be shed for shedding the blood of a human being um, is precisely because that human being is made in God's image. So just what I was saying a minute ago, that um, the, the worth and the value of a human being made in the image of God is such that to slay uh, that image um, is, is an assault on God himself indirectly. Um, and therefore calls for the shedding of blood. Um, uh, next slide. Uh, Psalm 8, 5 through 6. Now, image of God language doesn't actually appear here, but a lot of commentators have pointed out that uh, Psalm 8 is virtually a commentary. It's almost like a, uh, a hymnic reflection or something of, uh, of Genesis 1 through 2. Um, and uh, there are a lot of, there's a lot of common language there. And, and so from that perspective, as we'll see a little bit more in coming weeks, um, Psalm 8 may actually tell us a little bit more of what it means uh, to be made in the image of God, um, since it is essentially commenting on uh, the creation of human beings. Um, next slide. 
Psalm 10620, uh, what's really interesting here, they exchange the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. So image is here, it's, but it's referring to the image of an animal rather than the image of God. Um, but, it's, uh, but it's juxtaposed here with this idea of the glory of God. Uh, the, image, um, the image of an ox is here uh, antithetical. Um, it's being contrasted with the glory of God. And the problem with human beings, the fundamental problem of idolatry uh, expressed here is that they exchanged. In idolatry, we exchanged the glory of God that was naturally ours by being made in the image of God for the image of an animal instead. Um, through idolatry, we degrade ourselves. Um, okay, next slide. Uh, then we get to the New Testament, and right here, uh, I'll certainly have a lot more to say about this in coming weeks, but um, right away we notice that in the New Testament, um, Jesus Christ is the image of God. Um, Christ is clearly here, in Christ who is the image of God, and um, so uh, that's, that's something that we'll pay a lot of attention to in a few weeks. Uh, next slide. Uh, again, uh, image of the invisible God, um, and, uh, and we'll notice that a lot of these references, by the way, I think all of the New Testament references come from Paul's letters, um, and I'll have more to say about that in coming weeks too, but uh, next slide. Um, along with that, uh, not only is Christ the image of God in the New Testament, but um, as we put on the new self, uh, we are, uh, you know, we, we put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And so there, and the, the idea of the image of God sort of sneaks in again. And the thought there is that um, in Christ, we, the, the image of God is being renewed in us. Um, okay, next slide. Uh, again, uh, 1 Corinthians 15.49 expresses a, uh, a similar thought. Um, Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So there it's recalling um, and that, we are, that we bear the image of Adam who was made in the image of God. Um, but uh, in the resurrection, we will bear the image of Christ, the man of heaven. Uh, the image language, though, is ultimately all coming uh, from Genesis 1, 26 through 27. Um, uh, okay, next slide. Second uh, Corinthians 3, 18, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Um, so, there is some level of equation here between the terms image and glory. Somehow to be, somehow the image um, also, also has to do with the glory of the Lord. And we'll explore that more in coming weeks. Uh, next slide. 
Romans 8.29 then, uh, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Now we have seen in, um, Paul's, in Paul's thinking, obviously, from his other letters, uh, Christ is the image of God. Um, and so as we're being conformed to the image of, uh, of God's son, uh, we are also being conformed to the true image of God, um, which may help us understand how it, it is exactly that, uh, that Christ redeems the image of God in us. Uh, and I think that might be the end um, of, the, of the scriptures. Okay, all right, so um, yeah, I'll, I think there's one more slide then and I'll end there. Yeah, oh, that's hard to read. Um, okay, I'll, but I can say it anyway. Um, a preview just of where we're going next week. Like I said, we'll get into the exegesis of Genesis 1 through 2. And, um, we, and just a preview of what we're going to see there. Recent biblical scholarship has uh, shown that the Hebrew word tselem, image, was used in three primary contexts. Uh, and I should say not only the Hebrew word, but its cognates in the surrounding languages, Ugaritic, uh, Akkadian, Egyptian. Uh, don't worry, we're not going to look at any Akkadian, Ugaritic, or Egyptian. Um, uh, but uh, it was used in three primary contexts, King, kinship, kinship, in other words, family, um, kingship, and worship. So next week, we will see that there are a lot of reasons to think from Genesis 1 and 2 that human beings were made to resemble God in exactly these three primary ways. Uh, number one, we are his children. We resemble God as children resemble their parents, so kinship. Number two, uh, we resemble God by ruling over creation as he rules, kingship. Number three, uh, we resemble God, this is perhaps the most um, striking, we resemble God by representing him as his sacred image within his holy temple, which is creation. Um, worship. Uh, these are, um, and, and then there are a whole lot of other facets um, within all of that, but um, that we'll talk about. But those are the three primary ways that the term image seems to function in Genesis 1 through 2. Also, these are the th three primary ways, just as they are the three primary ways that we resemble God, they're the three primary ways in which um, scripture shows us human beings can go drastically wrong. Um, so um, I, will, I will end there. Um, and I didn't leave as much time as I planned for questions, but we have a few minutes. So uh, questions, anyone? Um, okay, lots of hands. I'm not sure who was first. Um, Michelle, I'm coming. That on? Neither do I, so it's kind of like the blind leading the blind, but. Um, I have a loud voice, I can just project. Um, I think I've got him. Do I try that now? I, is that, okay. Uh, never mind. Well, I'll I, repeat I your have question. A loud
Um, great question. So for those that may not have heard, um, did the fall have um, any uh, manifest impact on the image of God or how the image manifests in people? And that is what I'm going to talk about in detail in week three. Um, the, so the short answer is absolutely yes. Um, and, um, if, you know, so one of the debates in theology has been, uh, is it even proper to talk about human beings made in the image of God after the fall? Uh, I will argue, just a preview of what's coming, I'll argue that yes, it is. Um, uh, but uh, I will use the analogy that some of the church fathers used. The image of God in human beings after the fall is like a painting covered in dirt. So, um, I'll leave it there for now. Uh, yes. So we talk about um, acting in God's image and us having kind of kingship over the, the earth, the animals. And a lot of times we've botched that horribly. Like you look at the sea and how beautifully the wild animals lived and fish flourished and everything. And then when man got involved, he just messed it up. Why do you think this is part of God's message, or how are we supposed to fix these things that we botched? Yeah. Great question. Um, so one of the things I said right there at the end is that I think we will see in the coming weeks that just as these are perhaps the three primary ways in which we were supposed to um, carry out God's image, in, in creation, kinship, kingship, and uh, worship. They also end up being the three areas where we are most disastrous after the fall. And, um, and kingship, dominion, um, as it's expressed in Genesis 1, 26 through 27, I think we will see, is supposed to mean, uh, if, if we are supposed to resemble God by ruling over creation, we should be ruling over creation in the way that he rules, which is compassion, um, and a way that promotes flourishing um, uh, of life. And uh, human beings, even when we think of the word kingship or dominion, those aren't the first things we think of. We think of uh, a sort of totalitarian control, um, uh, a sort of tyranny. Um, and, uh, and that right there illustrates uh, how even our, our conception of what it means to rule has gone uh, terribly wrong. And, um, and so uh, the short answer, why have we botched these things so terribly, um, has to do with the fall. Um, but um, it is, I think, you know, one of, the, one of the values of studying this is that as we rediscover what it was supposed to mean, to be made in the image of God, hopefully we, we, can, we can recover some of that. We can, uh, through the grace given us uh, through Jesus Christ, our redemption in Jesus Christ, um, try to uh, do a better job um, of what we were originally supposed to be doing instead of carrying out in these really fallen ways. Um, uh, one, maybe one more quick question. Thank you so much, Jim. Yeah. This is so rich. 
Um, I'm just having a really hard time understanding that second view of being made in image as in uh, physical form, particularly that the rabbis, Jewish rabbis who had this, you know, the first and second commandments, particularly the second commandment would argue against that in any shape or form. Can you just describe that a little bit or elaborate on that? Yes, thank you. So, I, I, first of all, I'll say that uh, the idea of being of resembling God in physical form is probably the one that is the strangest to me. Um, and um, it, so, it, but it is interesting that so many Jewish rabbis thought that, uh, even though, as you said, they had the first and second commandments, um, which prohibit uh, any um, any graven image, um, and. Uh, one of the thoughts I know, uh, whether or not we agree with this is, uh, you know, a different story, but um, one of the thoughts at least uh, has been that part of the whole reason um, for the prohibition against making anything in the image of God, um, making any image of God, is that God has already made his own image, uh, which was us. Um, and uh, so... The, um, and, and from that standpoint, uh, it's, it's an affront to make something in the image of God when he has made his own image already, is um, to essentially play God, um, to pretend like you are him. When we start making images, uh, in other words, it's, that's not our right. Um, he can make his own image if he wants, um, but we don't have that right to make an image of him. Um, does that help? Um, all right, I need to end there. We're a little bit over time. So thank you all, and uh, we'll pick up with Genesis 1 and 2 next week. <laughs>